A biomedical engineer wants better public speaking. Next on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm your host, Pius Wong. My guest is Neil Thompson. Neil has a biomedical engineering background in orthobiologics, or the healing of damaged bones, but today he teaches STEM professionals how to communicate better to audiences. I spoke to Neil online before the current coronavirus news. Neil, once again, thank you for joining the podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about who you are and your engineering background? Yeah, sure. Well, as as you know, my name is Neil Thompson, and for a number of years, I worked in medical devices as a product development engineer. But when I first started working, I was a research associate, which didn't require all that much interaction with the outside world, which I very <laughs> much appreciated. But then I took a job out here in California. I moved to California in 2007 to take a job as a product development engineer. And when I took the job, I thought I would just be doing product development activities, essentially designing implants. So I was working in, in medical device more specifically spinal implants. So mm-hmm. I thought I'd be doing more designing implants, doing work in the lab. Basically, if I wasn't in the lab, I was in front of my computer. And I thought that's what the job would entail. But a couple of months into the job, my boss called me into his office and told me that I'd be a project lead. And all that really means is the company didn't have project managers. So they pawned off all, <laughs> those, all those, those responsibilities on the product development engineers. So I now was in charge of of keeping track of the timeline, the budget, all of these things. But one of the, 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 big, the biggest thing that I was in charge of was giving presentations in front of senior management every month in what were called new product development meetings. So essentially it was every month we'd have to get up there in front of management and talk about project progress. Hmm. Those first few project status meetings that I did were absolutely horrendous. I, 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 didn't, I, don't, I didn't know it was possible to sweat that profusely, oh, no. and 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 for sweat to and for sweat to come out of places I didn't know sweat came out of, it was really bad, and I realized I had to get better at this because I I didn't want to to sweat out all my shirts, you know, every time I had to give these presentations. <laughs> did people notice that? Did, did they, yeah, they tell did, you? They kept it to themselves. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 polite about it, <laughs> but I knew yeah. I knew that I was I was wet in the bed every time <laughs> I was getting up there talking from the CEO. The CTO, COO, everybody was seeing their name. I was just, I was doing a poor job. And I eventually got yeah. the hint when my project got canceled. And even to this day, this was now maybe more than 10 years ago, I firmly believe that if I was a little better at, at just public speaking in general, just, just being more effective at it, I would have been able to save that project. We'll never know, I guess. But no. that was definitely the wake up call that I needed to know that I had to get better at this. And so, I did, you know, I, I did Toastmasters for a number of years. So for anyone who doesn't know what that is, Toastmasters is a international organization whose mission really is to help people with their public speaking. And so I, I attacked mm-hmm. Toastmasters with, with a vengeance really, because I, I knew I, I had to get better. So I, I, I did Toastmasters and I said for a number of years and that really helped. And then also just getting reps in at work, just volunteering to speak whenever I could. You, you don't get better at anything without doing it. And so I, I volunteered to do a lot of speaking engagements, even going to conferences and presenting research on behalf of the company. I did that too. Mm-hmm. And basically I took everything that I learned in becoming more effective in public speaking and I turned it into a online course geared towards people like myself, people in the STEM fields, scientists and engineers. And I called it Teach the Geek to Speak. 
Yeah, I, I heard a little bit about that. And that's kind of what I wanted to ask you a lot about and more. But this Teach the Geek to Speak project of yours, you explained kind of why you started it. First of all, can you repeat again, why is public speaking so important for not just you and, and your history, but for any engineer or STEM professional? Well, we have a lot of technical expertise, engineers and scientists, but if you're not able to communicate it to others, especially decision makers, many of whom are not in the technical fields, projects don't get done. Projects don't even get approved. You, you have mm. to be able to convince somebody that what you're working on is, is worth putting time and, and effort and money into. So if you don't have those skills to be able to do that, then you're definitely at a disadvantage. That first project that you described that you said ended up getting cut, was the data sound, like all the science and engineering, that was sound, it sounds like. It's just that the communication of it wasn't great. Yeah. So I, I, Am I understanding yeah, that I, I definitely, Yeah. So I definitely thought that everything was sound, but just like you said, me being able to communicate it in a way that the senior management could understand was lacking and I firmly believe even to uh, even now that if I was if I had taken more account into speaking to these people in a way that they could understand, perhaps I could have saved that project. Yeah. Can you break down, first of all, what are some of the challenges of public speaking? What makes public speaking difficult for a lot of people, uh, not just for engineers, but I guess in general? Well, you know, a lot of people have a fear of being judged, I suppose, or being found out. Maybe a whole lot of imposter syndrome out there, people thinking that mm. others are going to find out that they don't know as much as they think they do, especially, you know, when you're done your your presentation and there's a Q&A session and people are asking you questions that perhaps you don't know the answer to. Perhaps you're worried about that happening. And then just just other things like just not be just kind of being careless, really, when it comes to putting presentations together, not knowing or not taking the audience into account as to what they want to know. You know, going over time, just wasting other people's time, wasting your time putting presentations together. You know, all these things kind of come come together in, in making public speaking nerve wracking, not just for technical professionals like myself, but really for anyone. You know, I want to talk about that first issue that you were saying about maybe being judged or um, not knowing. Engineers, I guess, might pride themselves on knowing a lot. You know, I guess that's the reputation that we get. But if if you are describing something, someone asks you a question, maybe the CEO asks you a question and you don't know the answer to it, how do you handle that? What's the right way of handling that? If you could summarize or, or give some tips on what to do in that situation. Well, I would definitely say don't make it up. <laughs> so if you, if you don't know the answer... Be honest about it. Think, say that you'll get back to them and you'll do research to find the answer. But and I think in most cases, people can respect that. But of, of course, you try to do as much uh, prep in, 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 in advance. So trying to think of the questions that people in the audience might ask and have answers at the ready. But in the event that you do get stumped by a question, don't say, don't say, don't make something up and, and hope that they don't notice. You'll because be found you get out. called out on it, then it's even worse. Right. Yeah, you'll yeah, it's even worse. So definitely be honest. Say so you'll you'll get back to them with the information. And I guess related to that, someone might be pressured to make something up if they felt a lot of fear or anxiety. Um, how do people just deal with that fear and anxiety of public speaking? Right. So I asked this question. So I have a, a YouTube channel where I interview people that 
are scientists and engineers that do public speaking. And one of the questions I typically ask is, do you ever get nervous before presenting? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? And for some of the, the people, their, their answer has to do with just framing the question differently. So they don't look at it as being nervous or fearful. They look at it as being excited. So when you look at something from a more positive perspective, it helps in quelling any sort of, I guess, any kind of negative thoughts that you might have. So you look at things in, in terms of being excited as opposed to being nervous. But something that I do to, to help with that is before I give presentations, I do a lot of deep breathing so, so to make sure that my breathing isn't shallow when I'm actually up there presenting. And then also to dissipate any kind of excited or nervous energy, whichever way you want to look at it, I tend to do some, some physical activity. So something like knee bends or just walking before the presentation, just kind of getting rid of all of that nervousness. So when you get up there, you're more relaxed. You're physically warming up. Yeah. And Something else that you said was, I guess, preventing carelessness or, or just preparing enough might help you be a better presenter. Why do you point that out as a particular problem or issue for STEM professionals when they present? Because I know I'm not a unicorn. When I first started doing those presentations from the management, I thought I could just wing it. Even though I hadn't presented in any kind of capacity for years, maybe getting back to school. I thought that I could just slap some slides together, get up in front of the management, read off the slides, and get off the stage as quickly as possible. But I noted, especially after those first few presentations, that wasn't the best way to go. And I saw that in other engineers and scientists that I've worked with over the years, and even at conferences that I've attended. And it's the telltale signs are there. They'll have a whole bunch of slides, chock full of text. They're just reading the slides. They're not looking at the audience. And they often go over time. These are all hallmarks of people that didn't prepare adequately for the presentation. And, and you're really wasting mm -hmm. your time and that you, whatever time you did take to put the presentation together has, has, been, has been wasted because no one really listened. And you wasted the audience's time because you didn't present the, 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 the content in a way that they can take in and understand. Yeah. So what's your opinion on like the walls of text behind people? Do you like PowerPoint? Is it a good thing or a bad thing for I, yeah, young well, engineering students to learn? PowerPoint is fine as long as there's minimal text. So I try to, to minimize the, any kind of bullet points to five at most. And I even try to, to, to minimize text even more by having more pictures than text. Pictures say a thousand words. And not only that, if you don't have a whole lot of text on the slide, it prevents the presenter from reading off the slides. It kind of forces you to then look at the audience because there's nothing to look at really on the slide. And then for the hmm. people that are in the audience, they're not going to be just reading as opposed to listening to what you say, because ultimately what you're doing is public speaking, not public reading. That'll make everybody's eyes on you. I feel like when people are all looking at me, maybe sometimes that makes me feel uncomfortable. Is that something... I can get over as well? I think so. What I actually do, so I actually struggle with eye contact. So when people, if I'm presenting and people are looking at me, I struggle with that too. So I don't look people in the eyes. I look at their eyebrows. And they can't tell the difference if you're looking at them or hmm. not. That's funny. I was just watching the TV show, The Office, and they made that that joke that like, that's a sales trick. Look at someone like right between the eyes if it makes you uncomfortable to look at them in the eyes. Yeah. So is it possible to be, say, too confident or too authoritative, I guess, 
when you're presenting? Because we talked about the idea of being nervous or or maybe uncomfortable. What about those presenters who, especially sometimes as engineers, again, we might think we know everything. Like, what if is it possible to come off like we know everything? Is that is that bad? Well, ultimately, especially if you're working within a company and you're presenting, you're seen as a subject matter expert, so you're supposed to have some sort of authority about what you're talking about. But a way to, mm-hmm. I guess, mask that in a way that people still have people listening but don't look at you as a know-it-all is to be able to tell stories. This is something that I never really took into account. I didn't take into account at all, really, when I first started giving presentations in front of management or, or any kind of presentations for that matter. I didn't think it was applicable to any sort of technical type of expert, uh, presentation. Hmm. I, I figured it was just data, present the data, and you know, present slides, graphs, you know, tables. That's what technical presentations were all about. But especially if you're talking to non-technical people, you got to be able, and, and, and you're talking about things that perhaps they don't know as much about as you do. You have to be able to couch those that technical data in a story of some kind so that you can keep them engaged and have them keep listening. For example, like you were talking about how way back in the day you were working on spine uh, implant product development. What kind of story could you tell if you're you're talking about, you know, research that you did? Well, working in spine implants, I worked in what was called the orthobiologics group. So in in implants and spine, you can make those implants can be made out of different materials. They can be made out mm-hmm. of metal or ceramic, but they can also be made out of human bone. So I actually worked in the group that made implants out of human bone. So there are tissue banks within the, you know, in the country or you know elsewhere that you can give them your specifications and they can make implants for you using donor bone. So if you've ever been in one of those tissue banks and actually smelled the uh, smell the smell Oof. of bone being cut, it's a smell that you'll yeah. never forget. So I, honestly, I, I talked a lot about that whole experience of being in the tissue bank, having these spinal implants made, having to smell this you know, human bone being cut. And you're trying to convince them to uh, hopefully not turn, not repulse them or something, but you're trying to convince them to be paying attention to you. Is that kind of the, the goal with telling the story? Absolutely. So the goal of the story is to present something that's kind of unexpected. If you're, getting a, if you're going into a technical presentation expecting to hear about a project progress, you know, starting it off about talking about the smell of human bone being cut, that will really get, get people's attention because it's not something they, they expected to hear. Yeah. You know, when you think back to how you did your presentations way back in the day, when you first were starting to do these public speaking uh, tasks, and then you look at yourself now, what's something that is like the biggest difference, I guess, between you then and now? Keep me or taking the audience's needs into account. Mm. It's probably the biggest thing. When I, uh, I mentioned earlier, when I first started giving presentations, I would just slap some slides together and get up there and, and wing it. But now I'm very mindful of the people that are in the audience, who I'm, basically who I'm speaking to and hopefully what they want to get out of the presentation and then tailoring the presentation to, to the audience as opposed to just doing whatever I want. Right. You know, that makes me want to ask you about your course, your Teach the Geek to Speak course in general. So I know that you started you said getting help maybe with Toastmasters and maybe other other things that you, you mentioned, like volunteering for different tasks. Um, so what makes Teach the Geek to Speak different from, say, these other uh, organizations or other sources of learning how to do public speaking? 
Well, with Toastmasters, you have to actually go to the meetings to practice the public speaking, which is great. It's, it provides you that forum to do so. But in the event that you don't or don't have time to go to such a meeting, the online course is great because it's a, a resource that you can access whenever you want. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's, it's at the ready whenever you need it. So that's one of the things I like about it. The other, the other thing, the big, the big thing that I like about it is the, the process. So I, essentially, the course is a six-step process to practice and deliver any speech you have to give. And I really like that in the sense that, at least when I worked in medical devices, we had to follow design control processes to develop medical devices. It's actually uh, it's a requirement. Right. And so presenting the course in, a process, in, in, the, way, in the sense of a process which is repeatable. You don't have to recreate the wheel. You basically have to follow this process every time you have to give a presentation, I think is really beneficial, especially for technical professionals who are accustomed just in their work life to following processes. And is this a long course? I mean, it's the six step process. Is this something people can go through like an hour a week or something? Or, or what's the, how much work, I guess, does someone have to do to go through your course or or to just get themselves into a better place in terms of their public speaking skills? The course is short, and I made it short on purpose. Ah. And when I say short, I'm yeah. saying 90 minutes. Oh, wow. At the end of the course, there are options to the, of exercises that I provide to, to then implement what I talk about in the course. But I purposely made the course 90 minutes because I want people to actually do it. Right. Because oftentimes, if you, make, if you make them longer, people will stop doing it. And so that's the main reason I made it the, the length that it did. Yeah. So a lot of people listening to this podcast, they're educators. I mean, there's engineers listening for sure too, but there's a lot of teachers listening who might be teaching young engineers or future engineers, maybe in middle school, high school, or college. Are there any basic tips that you think they especially could impart to their, their students, their kids? Well, the first thing is when it comes to presentations, be mind be mindful of the audience. Mm -hmm. So definitely present present what you think the audience would want to hear and what they can learn from. Don't just don't just till your your presentations to what you like. That's the big thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I'm really big on is timing, especially if you're in 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 school or even at work. A lot of times, these presentations that you do, they go over time. You might be given an actual amount of time to present, but you go over because you didn't practice. You didn't take in the needs into the people of the, the audience into account, and now you're over time. I used to go to conferences a lot when I worked as an engineer, and conferences were are notorious for that, especially when you have back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back speeches or presentations. It's really important to stay on time because if not, then the whole agenda of the conference is, is thrown out of whack. Mm -hmm. And I, I just noticed a lot that people would just go over time and that would just, it would alter the, the entire conference. And now you can't get to the other con other talk that you wanted to go to because the one that you're in went over time. So being mindful of time is really important. When I was a member of Toastmasters, the use of fillers was definitely beaten into Toastmaster What's members. That? So words like, um, uh, you know. Oh, okay. So those type of words. Yeah. Toastmasters is really big on minimizing those as much as possible. And that's helpful in the sense that there are a lot of people out there that are bothered by those words and they stop listening if you use too many of them. So I am a big fan of minimizing filler words because for those that are bothered by them, they'll be happy. And then the ones that aren't bothered by them, they won't be upset if they're gone anyway. 
So minimize your filler words is really big. And then another thing that I'm really big on is getting feedback. You don't get better at anything without getting feedback from others and even feedback from yourself. So even in all the presentations that I do, I try to video them Mm -hmm. so I can go back and look at them and see what I did well and what I need to improve. And then for the ones that, and then getting to get feedback from others, especially at work or at school, ask people that are in the audience, what did you like about the presentation? What could I do to get better? When it comes to getting feedback from others, though, I'm really big on taking the taking in the feedback that you agree with and leaving back the, the ones that, the, the feedback that you don't, because sometimes you'll get feedback that's conflicting. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was a member of Toastmasters, I was told by one person during one of my speeches that I had great eye contact. And another person said I need to improve my eye contact. Well, so who do you listen to? You, you got two completely conflicting things. So I go and look back at the video. And then I determine who I decide to, to, whose advice I decide to follow. You bring up a good point because when you're public speaking, you're usually talking to a lot of people. I feel like it's not even possible to make the perfect speech for everybody. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on being able to tailor your speech for a huge crowd? Is that even possible? Absolutely not. You, if you're trying to, to appeal to everyone, you'll appeal to no one. I'm a firm believer in that. Mm. You can only do uh, at the end of the day, you can only do your best. Try to appeal to as many people as possible, and leave it at that. There's also different types of public speaking. We were talking a lot about maybe the types we see at conferences, or maybe even in the classroom, these types of technical presentations. But then you kind of mentioned things like team meetings at work as an engineer, or um, other engineers might meet customers or clients or something. So I feel like there's different types of speaking. Do the skills that you've been mentioning that we've been talking about, do you think they apply to like one-on-one speaking or these other types of communication? Absolutely. When it comes to just knowing your audience, it doesn't matter if you're speaking to one person or to several you still need to speak to the person in the way that they can take in what you're talking about. Mm. And when it comes to timing, you know, especially in a, in a work environment, people's time is precious. They, they have other things to do. So you want to make sure your use of time when presenting is as efficient as possible. You don't want to have too much fluff. You want to get to what you need to get to, but you still want to get it to put it in such a way that people can understand and, and, and take action if, 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 if action needs to be taken. And then when it comes to feedback, again, it doesn't matter if it's one person or, or, or a million of people you're speaking to. To get better at public speaking, it's really important to get that feedback just so you can get better at it over time. Yeah. You know, Neil, I wanted to ask a little bit more about your background, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely not. All right. I like talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure I like hearing about it. Everyone else listening likes hearing about it. We'll see. Um, related to public speaking... You talked about how, you know, you have to learn a lot. I'm curious, what are you still learning regarding public speaking? Is there something that you think you still are, are trying to get better at? I think filler words. I mean, you can always improve when it comes to avoiding those type of words. Um, uh, you know, those type of words. So that's something I'm definitely getting better at. And then also there's feedback. That's also been really helpful because ultimately it's practice makes progress. It's not practice makes perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. So there's always progress that you can make in, in getting better at public speaking for sure. So going to your background as a biomedical engineer, did you study that when you were in college and, and onward? 
I got my bachelor's degree in materials engineering and I got a master's degree in biomedical engineering. And I studied engineering because my father told me to. Ooh, I used wow. to lie about that story about why I studied engineering because I thought I found it kind of lame. Yeah. I heard other people's stories about why they did it because, you know, they always had this interest in math and science or they used to take their, you know, appliances at home apart and put them back together. So they always had that interest. I didn't have that interest at all. I was, I was pretty good at math and science when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And when I, by the time I was done, I didn't know what I wanted to study in, in, in college. My father said, do engineering. So I did. But you didn't continue uh, on to like PhD or something. I, I learned that you started to get your PhD, but you decided not to do it. Why not? Yeah, I quit, I quit after a year. So, I mean, I mentioned that my father told me to do engineering. He wanted me to go all the way through bachelor's, master's and PhD. But ultimately, you have to start living for yourself and not and not others. So I never really wanted to do a, do a PhD. So after a year, I said, I'm, I'm done with this. I, I'm tired of being poor as well. So I'm going to get go get a job and be able to afford things. Yeah. I think that any young people who might be listening or teachers who are dealing with these young folks, they might have similar thoughts to think about. Do they do what their parents tell them to do? Do they study what they want to study? Are there any things you would tell yourself if you could talk to yourself back when you were in high school or maybe in college? What kind of advice would you give yourself regarding your professional future? Luckily, engineering for me worked out. So I didn't, it's not as if I, I hated it. I just didn't want to go all the way through to all the way to PhD. I start, stopped with the master's. But if I had to talk to my high school self again, I would have told them to pay more attention about the things that you like. Mm -hmm. And and then try to perhaps you know study those type of things in school. I probably I very well may have came to the conclusion that I wanted to do engineering, even back then. But it was just something that I wasn't thinking about at all. So I would have been more mindful about that. And what has been some of your most interesting engineering projects since you've been working in the industry? Let's see. Well, the the project that I was brought out to California to work on was interesting. The one that got canceled. It was <laughs> called the stem cell concentrator. Oh, so yeah? essentially what it was is, yeah, taking bone marrow aspirate from people and filtering out uh, stem cells from them. And then with those stem cells, injecting them back into people so that those stem cells could help to, to grow bone. Wow. Yeah, I've heard about different stuff like that. Is there a commercial product for that right now? Well, not from the company that I work for. <laughs> and you're, you've been doing a lot of engineering, but obviously you're doing even more than that with Teach the Geek to Speak. And also, I know that you've got like a, a children's book out. Could you tell me about that? That's right. Yeah. So the book is called Ask Uncle Neil, Why Is My Hair Curly? The book is about my nephew asking me why his hair is the way it is. And I use science to answer the question. Because we're in audio, I'm, you're, I'm sure your audience doesn't realize or doesn't, doesn't know that I'm actually black. Mm -hmm. So being a black guy working in engineering, there wasn't a whole lot of us. Mm. And so I wrote the book to, as uh, the goal for me for writing the book was to encourage the STEM fields to the, to the essentially to the black community, to, to the black kids. And the book is written for children ages around six to eight. And the goal of the book is to give them the confidence to know that there aren't any careers that are off limits to them. So if you want to study engineering, you want to study science in school, you have the, the confidence to know that you can do it. And I figured if you give them that, that confidence early on, as they get older, it'll be much more difficult for any naysayers to tell them otherwise. Did you face those naysayers growing up? Yes. So when I was in high school, I had a physics teacher 
tell me that I should consider another profession. Oh my gosh. And my, I told my father this when I got home and he actually went to the school the next day to speak to the principal and the physics teacher. And the principal told my dad that it is teacher's job. It's a teacher's job to give students reality checks. So for, Oh my God. So the, yeah. So my father took me out of that class and then I completed that physics course at night school. Wow. So that's, I mean, I, I know you, you say that story real short, but that's like, makes me angry. I'm sure that it, that you must've been having really strong reactions to that. Um, did you have people besides your father helping you out or was he like a big, he was the big um, supporter? Oh yeah. He was the big driver. I mean, he's the one that says study engineering. So yeah. he, he damn well better be the driver. <laughs> <laughs> Why? So what was his, what was his um, motivation for, for really pushing you towards engineering? Probably the stability of it. And looking back on it, it wasn't that bad a decision. I mean, people that have engineering degrees do all kinds of jobs. Yeah. How can people find that book again? AskUncleNeil.com. AskUncleNeil.com. Okay, perfect. How can people learn more about you, Neil? Well, they can go to TeachTheGeek.com. And if you want to go to my my YouTube channel, it's YouTube.TeachTheGeek.com. And there we can hear your discussions with other folks about public speaking and similar issues, all that. That's right. All right. Neil, thank you so much. The final question that I like to ask all the engineers who are on the show is um, I really want to ask you what inspires you? What makes you feel creative? And I like to ask that because I think sometimes engineers get a bad rap in general for being kind of like, maybe boring or something. I want to know what do you turn to, to inspire you or, or yeah, make you be creative. I think the, the book definitely helps. So that book is what I plan to be the first of many. It'll be the first of a series. It'll always be my nephew asking me a question mm -hmm. and then me using science to answer it. And if I see the, the benefit, especially within my community in, in inspiring and just promoting the STEM fields to, to black children, I think that's, that's definitely an inspiration to me. And when it comes to that whole motivating them to at least consider those fields, that's what, I, that's what I'm really big on, just the consideration of it, just letting them know they have options. I'm not going to be like my father and say, study engineering. I'm going to say, here's an option that you can do. It's, it's something that I did, or it's science, or engineering, any type of anything in those disciplines. Consider it at least. Don't think that it's something that's not for you. All right. Thank you so much, Neil. Thank you. That was Neil Thompson, engineer and founder of Teach the Geek to Speak. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is sponsored by my studio, Pios Labs, in Austin, Texas, and also by the Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games, available through Amazon and other booksellers. This show is also made possible by amazing individuals donating to the show on Patreon. You can donate online, too, at patreon.com slash Labs. Visit the podcast website for show notes, links, transcripts, and more. Go to k12engineering.net. That's k12engineering.net. Thanks to everybody working in this field. Thank you for listening, and take care out there. <laughs>